thanks to our sponsor, Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold partner and part of the technology adoption program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Microsoft Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around our special offer. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 429, where today, CJ and I are going to recap some news and look at an Azure feature called Azure App Configuration, recorded live September the 30th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get back to the show. Access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. And now back to the show. Morning, CJ. How you doing? Eh, Too many requests. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, man, just as we were talking about before the show, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Your life is feeling a little 429-ish right now. It's feeling very 429. Unfortunately, I can't throw any 429s. It's all coming and I can't stop it. <laughs> do you have any requests? Back off, try again later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I would like yeah. to do that. They did that with one or two friends. So if you're listening, sorry, dude, but yeah. Well, it sounds like you're being very reasonable about your 429s. You're not being like uh, certain services in Office 365 that rhyme with SmearPoint and <laughs> try to use their API too much. Um, can't help you. Can't help you. Can't help you. <laughs> well, I will say that I'm I, I am throwing 429s, but um, I don't. There is no retry after header coming back to them. It's just yeah. like <laughs> go away. <laughs> <laughs> how yep. are you? This how are you going, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you. I'm weirdly, I'm feeling a little disoriented this morning. I've been playing around with FlightSim in VR. Ooh. Not just Microsoft FlightSim, but a game called DCS, which is like a combat simulator. Mm. And um, learning to fly an F-14 in that. But doing it in VR is, like at the time, I don't feel motion sick. Like I'm, I'm fine while I'm in VR. Um, upside down, doing loops, and I've got used to it, right? It's pretty mm-hmm. disorient- disorienting to begin with. But when I come out of it, I feel like I've been on a little bit of a boat, <laughs> right? So I've still got a little bit of the motion of the ocean going on, you know? Huh. And even after sleeping, so that was last night, even after sleeping this morning, I still feel a little wavy. Really? Yeah, and I think usually it means I'm a bit dehydrated, right? Because your inner ear gets a little... Right. A little uh, messed up, but it's so fun. It's mm. so much fun. Learning cool. to fly these complex aircraft and then just 
yeah, like it's it's engaging and interesting. So, but the flip side is, I feel like I'm on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I guess it, it shows that that VR stuff, the VR tech, when done well, it really does mess with your mind and kind of put you in the mindset or put you make your mind think that you're really like you don't need the physical side. It just kind of it's a it's a frame of of, of yeah. Of, uh, it's a, one of your senses, right? It's a, yeah, one of your senses. Well, it's, it's, it's video and audio, right? So it's visual and audio, but it's not for the faint of heart. Like when you first put them on, it can be pretty like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like it can be, some people don't react very well to it. And uh, your brain sort of gets a bit scrambled, you know, mm. like you're like, how come my eyes are saying I'm going this way, but my inner ear tells me that's not the case, you know, yeah. strange. I need to get Vicky's cell phone. So and find out that when you're doing this, get her to really jack the heat up in your office and then walk up and start to just slowly kind of vibrate your chair. So you're like, oh my oh, God, this is so real. The heat in my office does go up because my computer is self-immolating. Like it, <laughs> it's, uh, I've got lights on my computer and they, they get redder and redder as the heat in the computer internal components go up, right? So, the, and it's tied to my video card and it is blazing red. Like it oh is like God. thermonuclear in here. So yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the heat, but just shaking the keyboard a bit, sorry, shaking shaking my chair would help. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, How about you? What's been going on? Anything exciting um, uh, work-wise? No, I'm uh, working on a, a new free email course that I should have out shortly. Cool. It's The idea is it to kind of get people who are interested in the SharePoint framework to give them a way to learn in a, over a course of about eight or so days, or if they do their homework in the course and they fill out their little worksheets that take about a minute or two, they can get the next day's installment like right away. Otherwise, it gets sent to them the following day. But it really is just like, I'm targeting a few different types of people to it. But one of them is, I just got back to my desk and I came back to my manager's office who says, you need to learn the SharePoint framework and I don't have a clue what we're what this thing is. I so see. the email course is supposed to teach, okay, now you can speak intelligently about it. You can't build anything once you learn it, but you know, that's why I have a video course for it, but kind of answer those questions. So gotcha. working through that and everything's done now, it's just all like the, you know, it's like writing the program, everything's written, but now I got to put it, you know, set up distribution, set up the thing that explains what this is, pages on the site, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, nice. working through that right now. But um, Very cool. yeah. So, Hey, today I uh, want to do a couple things. We are going to, in addition to what we have been doing recently or what we do quite often, is talking about the latest news and what's new in Microsoft 365. Today, we're also going to go off on and talk about a, a feature or a service that is in Microsoft Azure that developers can use for managing their configuration. I started, I play with this a little bit. I absolutely love it except for one aspect of it. So I thought we would kind of make people aware of what this is, as I find that a lot of people are not aware that this is even an option. Yeah. So Sounds with good. that, let's learn something. Let's go ahead and let's dive into news first, and then we'll go into learning about the Azure App Configuration Service. 10.4. This episode is sponsored by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareGate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. And we're back. 
All right, CJ, I have two very quick message center updates for everyone that I want to run through because they are they're fairly important. One of them is not so much like anything urgent right now that people need to be aware of, but this is this is a message center. The ID of it is 286990. It's called Exchange Online and Basic Auth. And Microsoft is checking in and providing an update for this update as of September the 21st. Sorry, September 2021, so as of this month. Now, back in 2019, they announced that they're going to be retiring the basic authentication for legacy protocols. But then earlier this year in 2021, they announced they're going to begin to retire it for basic protocols that are not being used in tenants, but not disable it for any in-use protocols until further notice. And I think that that's part of, hey, pandemic's going on, people got their hands full, we're not going to go through and start pushing this just yet. Yeah. What the big thing is with this is that they are now they are now announcing that they are going to restart the program to end the use of basic auth and exchange online. And that's going to kick in, though, on October the 1st of 2022. So not this calendar year, but next calendar year. Hmm. But they're also going to start in early 2022. As they start to roll out the changes necessary to support this, they're also, it seems like they're going to go mess with people with the best intentions. And the way I, what I mean by that is that they're also going to go out and just kind of randomly select tenants and disable basic auth for all protocols for 12 to 48 hours. Now, after that time period has elapsed, they're going to go back and re-enable them so that everything goes and works with it. But people are pretty much going to be able to figure out like, how do you know you're using basic auth? Because all of a sudden it broke and it wasn't an outage. We actually killed it on you and then we're going to turn it back on. I mean... I kind of like the heavy-handed approach there, kind of like the parent just saying like, I'm done doing your laundry. I'm done. I've told you to do your laundry for three or four months. So this might be hitting close to home too. I don't know, hypothetically. But it's like, hey, look, you need clean clothes for Monday? You should have thought about that on Sunday night and started doing your laundry and not on Monday morning and saying like, dad, I need clothes. I'm like, well, I'd be tough. I'd be totally on board with that. But having had to use basic auth with Exchange Online for one particular thing, in Hyperfish. And the reason why we had to do it was because you could not use modern auth with it. You couldn't use OAuth with these particular APIs. They just didn't support it. That's going to break stuff. And I know they've got to get off it eventually. They've got to get off certain things, move over to modern auth, but there are things that do not support it that are going to get broken. And I guess people won't be able to use those anymore. Well, not for 12 to 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be even more confusing because it's going to start working. Are they going to tell those customers? Yeah. Like, you know, those things that you had that broke all those calls, they all, none of them work. So before it was just like, crap, all of a sudden exchange broken. Like, oh, I'm too busy today. I'll come back. I'll deal with this tomorrow. And all of a sudden it starts working going, sweet. I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm like, well, no, that was, that was supposed to be the way there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually an example of this, of using basic auth in SharePoint too, like the old SharePoint profile APIs. Yeah. Uh, if you want to use any of those and you want to do it in a um, sort of an admin only app mode, you can mm-hmm. kiss your sweet luck goodbye on doing that with Modern Auth. Mm-hmm. you got to do it uh, all old school. Anyway. That's stuff. So that's one that I wanted to highlight there. Just something that people should start paying attention to. The other thing that I wanted to highlight was another message center ID 288054. And this is a config change where the Power BI app for Microsoft Teams is going to start being automatically installed and made available for government customers. Hmm. So whether you want it or not, it's coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> but only if you're in government. 
Only if you're in government, yes. Fair enough. Uh, okay, now, so let's now start diving into like some Microsoft news here. So the first one that we have is related to Skype. And what Microsoft announced in late in August of 2021, they announced a new modern, or actually in September, they announced it as a, a new modern Skype experience that when you look at it, it looks very, very similar to Teams. To me, I mean, I know you and I talked about this a little bit offline, and I understand the point of view of, we got lots of people that are currently using Skype. Let's just put mm-hmm. it put in air quotes, Skype consumer. Yep. We really want to move the entire comms system in for Microsoft over to Teams, be it Teams business or Teams, what do they call it, for life or consumer, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. But they don't want to just get rid of all these people. So they just basically refresh Skype. And to me, it really looks like they just kind of reskin Skype to look like Teams. And sometime in the future, it's going to be like, oh, hey, it's not called Skype anymore. It's called Microsoft Teams. And don't worry, you're all used to the new UX because we yeah. updated it to be modern Skype. Do you think they, they skinned Skype to look like Teams? Or do you think they Skypeified a, t- a new Teams client? Sounds I don't like you know. think the former. Well, right. I could see either one, but I th- I feel like it's a little bit more of the former. I feel like this is like yeah. step one in the mic- in the switchover. Gotcha, gotcha. That would make a bit more sense. I mean, the infrastructure to run Skype is pretty significant. There's a lot of stuff behind it. Like they've got all of the telephony stuff, dial in, dial out, like the Skype in, Skype out functionality. And mm-hmm. I actually use this to this day, right? If I want to call a landline or a cell phone in New Zealand, my wife and I, Vicky, will use Skype to call that from our phones, but we don't use the Skype app. We just call a local number and then punch in the number we want to call. It's just mm-hmm. a whole bunch cheaper. Mm. Yeah, I, Skype has got such a brand, a recognized brand, and it just looks like to me that Microsoft is kind of getting closer to getting rid of it, which yeah. to me, and I understand they've got a lot invested in Microsoft Teams, and I get that they really want Microsoft Teams to be more of a recognized thing. But to me, it just, I would have liked to have seen like the team, the consumer version of Teams. I would have liked for that to have been called Skype. Yeah, me too. And let it the makes business so side of Teams sense. just be called Teams. Because I already have the, the confusing conversation with other people about OneDrive and OneDrive consumer, OneDrive work. My daughter comes yeah. home. She's like, yeah. she goes, but I have OneDrive. And I'm like, no, no, you have one with me and you have one at school. Literally last night. You have one for school. You have one with my business that you keep yeah. all your stuff that you used for school last year. And she's like, how can you have two OneDrives? It's called yeah. OneDrive. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> oh my God, I know. Yeah, been there. No, I totally agree with you. I think they should call Skype Skype and have the consumer telephony and communication stuff all under the Skype brand. Do whatever they want there, reinvigorate it, whatnot. But Teams, we work with literal Teams at work. So makes sense. Yeah. What you got Anywho, for us? All right. Such a Nadella has come out in an interview with Kara Swisher and said, uh, it, again, you know, trigger warning, this is a little Trumpy, so <laughs> apologies about this in advance. But he said, Trump pushing Microsoft to buy TikTok was the, and I quote, strangest thing I've ever worked on, said Sachin Nadella. <laughs> he was so good about how he talked about this. He was he was trying to be politically correct, right? He was yeah. He was not trying to, you know, stir any pots or anything like that. But he basically said it was like this really, I'll paraphrase, right? He basically said it was this really weird scenario where where TikTok came to them looking for a US suitor because of what administration 
the US administration was saying about TikTok, they needed to partner essentially with a US company to stay mm-hmm. afloat in the US. And so they approached Microsoft. Microsoft was kind of interested. And um, Satcher basically said it was like, it was all on, it was all on, you know, the deadline was set by the administration for having TikTok, having to figure this out. And then suddenly it just was no longer a thing anymore. Like it just sort of, nobody was talking about it. <laughs> and it's just like the strangest, he said it was like the strangest thing I worked on. It was like one day it was like everything was going. And the next day it was like no longer an important thing anymore. And the executive order or whatever, whatever it was that um, the president issued about needing to be done. I'm not sure if it was an executive order some sort of mandate or I don't know what it was. The sort of the deadline came and went and nobody did anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was no yeah, it was longer like, uh, a political hot potato, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. it just sort of came and went. And they asked him, you know, would you like it? Would you want it? Would you want to buy TikTok? And he's like, he said it very nice. He said, at this point, I'm happy with what I have. <laughs> I, I dodged a bullet <laughs> yeah yeah I, well I'm, and i'm glad they did i'm glad they passed on it oh, too so glad yeah but yeah anyway that's funny i have to go back and read that i didn't see that one come out yeah it was kind of interesting just to let everybody know you know that there is still a heartbeat that we do pay attention to the news there was another microsoft mfa outage that was past week it was Say brief it so i know uh it was brief it was also limited just to on-prem customers. Hmm. They had some developer thing they rolled out. Some developer rolled some stuff out. They realized, oh, that's what broke it. They rolled it back. Everything started working again. So, Are you sure but, it wasn't the exchange team turning off basic auth? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that would be, people? We're just going to turn off be? MFA for on-prem customers to sort of remind them, you're still on-prem. <laughs> <laughs> you should really go to the cloud. That's funny, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we... Uh, that's exactly how they should. <laughs> it's like the chaos monkey. <laughs> when they shut that, when they shut it off, uh, start shutting off the exchange online for uh, basic offer exchange online early next year. Watch some like service ticket get open, and they're like, oh, "We found the problem. Let's roll it back." And it's like, "No, no, no, leave it. <laughs> You're supposed to leave it like that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, too funny. Yeah. But- All right. Final bit of news. Given the shenanigans going on in the legal world with Apple and Epic, I thought this one was quite interesting. Microsoft is opening its Windows Store up to third-party app stores. Mm. So funny. I thought that the timing of this was funny, like coming right out of yeah, right? like, that whole fight. Yeah. You know, maybe the legal teams behind the lawsuits and stuff are looking at Microsoft going, hmm, maybe we should talk to you as well. Yeah. Except nobody uses apps out of the Microsoft App Store, but whatever. Anyway, they're opening it up to, that's not entirely true. But uh, anyway. Not, not terribly wrong, though. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I admit I have installed a couple of apps from the uh, from the Microsoft store. I go actually I've started to go look there first before I go because it just then it takes care of updating and mm. all that stuff. Anyway, so Microsoft is opening up its app store. Guess who they're opening it up to? Epic. Epic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. So uh, there's a shot across the Apple. App Store bow. <laughs> hey, if Apple aren't going to give you a channel to customers in you, their app store, we will come to our safe haven, Epic, and we'll distribute your apps. So, um, admittedly, only to Windows computers, not to iOS, you know, mobile phones, but Windows is used by a lot of people and 
they can help promote and get apps and games out to them. Anyway, and they're also opening it up to Amazon as well. Well, there you go. Yeah. Speaking of Amazon, I have an interesting thing that I saw this week. Now, I saw the announcement from Cloudflare. They came out with a new service called Cloudflare R2 Storage, which is Mm. kind of funny because it kind of is a parody or not. I shouldn't say a parody. It's a... Well, let me just go and explain it like this. They describe it as an S3 compatible object storage service with zero egress bandwidth charges and automatic migration from S3 compatible apps. Now, yeah. so get this. So first of all, they basically what it does is today, if you put data inside of S3, usually ingress is either for the data, like so uploading it is either cheap or it's free. And you end up only paying for the storage and you also pay for the data egress or when the data is actually requested. Yeah. Now, this guy who is calls himself a the chief cloud economist with the Duckbill Group and his Twitter following, which this actually got me to start following him, it says, get my snarky take on AWS news. So it's called the last week in AWS.com. Wow, that's cool. Definitely going to go keep, keep track of that. But get this. So he has this tweet that I'll link to or this tweet thread. It says, time to put my cloud economics pants on and do a bit of math around Cloudflare's R2 pricing model as described herein. Now get this. Today, if you go put a gig of data in AWS's AWS S3 and serve it out to the internet, the storage charge is 2.3 cents per month and they're tier one regions. So if someone out on the internet goes out to grab the data just one time, you're going to have to pay nine cents to send the data to them. So that's just shy of four months of storage charges to send it out to the internet just one time. Now, what R2 does is it sits in front, it sits on the Cloudflare's network. And what it does is you will end up having to send nine cents to take it out of S3, right? So so when you request it from Cloudflare's R2 service, you will still pay that nine cents to AWS to go from S3 to R2. And then you will pay one and a half cents a month to keep it in R2, but from that mm. point forward, it's free. Hmm. So, did you notice? So, well, hold on, hold on. Let me finish this. This is where it gets interesting here. So, what that does is that if you cut over to use the if you if you cut over to use their S3 and frequent access, this is going to drop the price in AWS to one and a quarter cents per gig per month. So, if you ever need to go through mm. and get the data again, then you just pay another nine cents to transfer it out, plus a one yeah. cent surcharge for retrieving it from the infrequent access. So you can either pay 2.3 cents per gigabyte plus a whopping nine cents per gigabyte transfer if you keep it all in S3. Or if you adopt R2, you can pay two and three quarters cents per gig, keep it in both places, be secure in the knowledge that if it ever breaks, you can always go through and pull it back in, but you only end up having to pay for egress one time instead of multiple times. This is brilliant because like, you're going to see like this is a, a brilliant move by by Cloudflare because it's they're doing something that is going to significantly mm-hmm. reduce the costs people's costs with AWS S3, but it's also probably really going to piss AWS off because that just knocked out a huge amount of revenue of, of revenue for them. Yeah, so like it's really you, fascinating. They can do that. so. Think about if you pull the data out, if you have a million people download that one gigabyte a month that you put into to S3. If you do this with R2, you're going to pay roughly about 13 cents total. But with S3, $59,000. Wow. Wow. That really stacks up, huh? Yeah. What I was going to say is, did you notice that to an S3, 
R is one letter before S and two is one number before three. Mm -hmm. So you want to put R2 in front of S3. Mm -hmm. Ah, I thought that was funny. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, that is, that's mind-boggling economics. Interesting. I'm sure it'll matter for a ton for people shipping a lot of data to customers or a lot of downloads or updates to their software or what have you. Like that's all going to add up pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, if you can just point to a new location for where your S3 buckets usually are in your app and say, like, instead, we're going to be sharing the data from R2 instead of S3. Yep. I mean, it might be a really easy flip over. And whenever you request it, it's not in R2. It's going to come straight from S3 anyway. So you just recache it. Yeah. It could be really interesting to see what kind of an impact that has in saving a lot of companies money, but then also what kind of a, you know, kick to the shins of Amazon's. Yeah. uh, uh, bottom line it is so yeah anyway for sure okay you want to learn something um yeah okay <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by raygun are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before then it's time to work smarter with raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software and what makes it so unique is that not only it tells you when something's gone wrong It shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences to your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your 14-day free trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. And now, back to the show. All right, CJ, I thought that today we would take a minute and talk about an Azure service. And we're not going to dive deep into this because it is a developer-y kind of a thing. So I'm not going to talk too much code here. Instead, I want to talk more like conceptual and give you some information on where you can go learn more about this. So included in the show notes, I have three links. I have uh, one to the homepage in the docs for what this service is. And then I have two YouTube videos to the series that Microsoft and Scott Hanselman run, Azure Fridays, where one of them is a getting started and the other one is like a follow-up interview. So this service is called the Azure App Configuration Service. This was uh, this launch went GA in early of 2020. Hmm. And basically what this is, is a service that enables you to have key value pairs and configurations that are stored externally from your app. So today you build a web app or you do something with Azure Functions or whatever, you've got app settings, right? And we can do those key value settings with app settings and you can even get a little fancy and put them in different slots and all that kind of stuff to be able to to manage your configuration. But it's still tied to that one resource. So one of the cool things about what this app configuration service is, is it's similar to that, but it adds in a bunch of additional features that I'll go into in a minute. So going off there, like marketing-ish stuff, it enables secure or scalable storage for your configuration across multiple apps instead of tying it to a specific one. So mm. like, for example, like compared to an, an app setting that we have today, like in, in ASP.NET, those are all tied to a particular resource. Well, like if I have a web app, all the settings are inside that configuration. But if I have so if my if my solution that I built is actually comprised of multiple things, like maybe one or two web apps or a couple different Azure functions, or think maybe containerization of my app, or think like serverless, like Azure functions, 
this app configuration can be used for multiple resources that all are going to be implemented by a single solution, even though it's made up of multiple different resources. So any resource that you have in Azure that needs configuration, it can look to this central place instead. Now, this is not a replacement. As I first thought about it when I first started getting into this, I was like, well, how is this different from Key Vault? And it's different from Key Vault in the sense that Key Vault is more about encrypting and keeping secure your credentials. It's not for doing what this app configuration stuff is. So the way that I've used it in one thing was that I had the name of the key vault key that I was looking for. So if it was encrypted yep. and I had like a production or a dev or whatever different instance for like, let's just say it's a connection string, yep. then I would say, go give me the connection string from my app configuration setting. But then because you can use labels, I'll get into it in a minute, I could say I'm on prod, then it knows to give me the name of the key for the prod configuration oh, yeah. inside hmm. of Azure Key Vault. So the, the configuration or the, the connection string is still secured, yep. but I don't have to worry about making sure that things are flipped around the right, you know, in the right, right different things. Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense, right? So you can, you're not hard coding those key names, you can move them around and change them. Yeah, and they don't all have to match up in Key Vault. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. And another thing too, one of the other things that's nice about this is that, you know, a lot of times, depending on, on what we've built, when you make changes to app settings, you actually have to restart the app in order for the app to actually pick up those changes. So if it's like a web app, it doesn't read that configuration data on the fly from app settings. Instead, it's got to go, it reads it when the app loads. And so if you go make a change to it, you've got like a watcher watching the equivalent of like the web config that will yeah. recycle the web app, you know, drop it down, spin it back up. Which, I mean, that takes a little bit of time. Plus, you can lose like optimization, performance caching, memory caching, all that kind of stuff. Well, this is not going to happen because this is not tied to the configuration objects that you end up using with this, with app configuration, with the SDK they provide, is going to be able to manage this recycling of stuff. So some of the cool features, let me talk about some of the cool features of this and just kind of give you an idea on some other aspects of this. Some of the features is you have a concept of labels. This is like a way to tag a key value mm -hmm. with labels to enhance the um, experience and use the same keys from multiple apps. So like I used a minute ago, let's say you have a, a like site connection string. That's, your, that's the key that you want to use. You can have multiple labels of it to kind of give you different flavors. So you could say this one's for prod, this one's for QA, yeah, gotcha. this one's for, for development. And so your different your site can look for different things. That would be like your app setting is saying like, hey, this running in this slot, you're always dev. I don't want to change that stuff around. You can also do a very easy configuration comparison. So to contain, you can check values between comparing values of the same key. Built-in support for managed identities so that you oh, can nice. actually give a web app access to read or read and write to these configuration settings. There is a way to do this using a connection string or using like access keys, both read, write, access, and uh, read only. Mm. But you're going to have to store those somewhere. And then we kind of get back to like the chicken and egg chicken thing. Chicken and like, egg, yeah. Right? You don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. Obviously, because it's an Azure service, you've got centralized management. You also have point-in-time snapshots of your configurations. And then one that I love this one, it's a feature flag. And it's a whole full-blown like feature flag management where you can say... Just it's got an on-off toggle to where you can create your own configuration settings for doing that, but they actually have a dedicated UI for feature management where you can list all the features mm. and just have little toggles on who gets it. And then you can assign those values using conditions like based on a group of people or something mm. or they. an app role or something like that. Yep. Now, 
One of the cool things about this that you can do is you can also set it up to where your app is going to dynamically reload the configuration inside when you go to make these changes. Now, there's two different ways you can do this. You can do it as a poll or you can do it as a push model. So the polling model is pretty easy. It's baked into the .NET SDK that come that they ship with this. It is a basically what you do is you create this thing called a Sentinel key, which is just another key. Yep. This is just one that you create. And the value is whatever you want it to be. Maybe it's a hash value, maybe it's a timestamp, whatever. When you build, when you configure the app configuration in your web app. So let's just say it's an ASP.NET app. You would do this in the startup.cs file. Yeah. When you do that. There's a method that you're going to call when you go to, to load the configuration. You can add in this configure refresh. And what that does is you say, hey, this is the key I want you to keep an eye on. Hmm. And if this key ever changes, then I want you to reload all of the settings inside hmm. the config so that the yeah. rest of the app doesn't have to worry about that. And by default, it does it every 30 seconds. It watches, it pulls every 30 seconds, but you can change that to be whatever value you want. And the best part is it all happens in the background. Now, the push model is a little more complicated because it involves setting up an event grid. Probably you're going to want to do a service bus as well. But basically, the app configuration says that when there's a change, it can publish an event to event grid. And then you can write the code the same place where in the startup file Mm. where it said, go do the refresh. You can get a reference to a thing called a refresher, an instance of a refresher. And when you set up elsewhere, a subscription to that those events being published from EventGrid, mm. you can be notified of that. And then on the refresher object you got, you can call the set dirty method, which basically gotcha. will say, in the next 30 seconds, we're going to refresh the configuration for you. So you don't have this polling mechanism going on. That's really nice. I love that push model version. It's really slick. I've used this in an Azure function once. I've used it. It's a really, it's one of those things that's Really, really simple. It's really easy to use. It's really easy to stand up and really easy to to take advantage of in your app. The only downside that I have with this is that the coverage in terms of SDKs is Mm. light. So there's a a .NET and a .NET Core SDK. There is a, I think it's called Springboard Java. There's a Java Java, um, SDK and that's it. Mm. And for somebody like me, who's a node guy, I'm like... Yeah, gotcha. I'd have to do all the plumbing myself, which you can do, but it's just kind of a pain. Maybe in the they'll get out. there. They'll probably well, get there. I probably use this. catering to enterprises moving apps at the moment, right? This yeah. is Java or .NET. That's what I thought. And like when this first came out in 2020, I saw that and I was like, ah, "That's a bummer." Okay, I get that leading .NET. No big deal. Let's you know, I'll wait to see where they go with the like a Node SDK. But like a and year later. It's we're over a year. It's it's been out about a year and a half. So it's a little. I'm a little disappointed. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen a, a Node SDK yet. But I mean, oh, you can build your yeah. own. There are some open source. It might ones be one out there. It might be a third party one. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. That's a really cool service. I like that. It's always it's one of those conundrums that every app developer has. Is like, oh, I need some config. I'll stick it in the apps app config file or whatever. And like, oh yeah, there's some secrets in there. I'll fix that before we ship it. Yeah. I never do. Nope. You know, no. always a pain to deal with config. Yeah. And then it's even more of a pain to manage it after you've gone live, right? Being able to change it and things. So this is, this is nice. I'm definitely going to uh, investigate. I've done a bunch with, I've done quite a bit with Key Vault and things for storing config, not just secret config either, just like regular config that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. need to be in Key Vault, but um, you know, it makes it easy for changing things. So some yeah, of this would be nice. 
I was building a containerized app that was, well, it was going to, there was multiple containers involved in it. And I was running into the same problem. Like, how do I manage the configuration between each one of them? And I ended up having a shared, a container that all of them kind of like shared and would all talk to, to get their, I think it was called the manager or the supervisor. And his primary job was really just to hold key value pairs. And seeing this, I was like, oh my God, I'm, yeah, I totally perfect. would have used this instead. Perfect. So Awesome. Yeah. Go check it out, everybody. There you go. Azure app configuration. You learn something new every day. All right, dude. Now you want to have some fun and do some, get a little picky? Well, let's get picky. All right. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. What you got for us today in your peaks? Well, I thought I was going to tell you about a Netflix documentary, but I've switched my pick. Oh, you're a pick switcher. I'm a pick switcher. There is a hamster that has been trading cryptocurrencies in a cage rigged to automatically buy and sell tokens since June, and it's currently outperforming the S&P 500. There you go. There you go. go. Hamster. So there's this hamster called Mr. Gox, like with a reference to Mount Gox, famous crypto thing has been living in this you know in his little cage he's got a wheel that he he can run on and then he when he gets off the wheel he runs through one of two tunnels either a buy tunnel or a sell tunnel and so based on which tunnel he runs through it triggers a crypto transaction and so far he's he's up as of friday uh, this is on the 26th of september this article came out so it was about a week ago as of friday he was up 24 percent (laughs) <laughs> in his portfolio. <laughs> That's awesome. How funny is that? Oh. Crazy, huh? And <laughs> there is a, you can check out this hamster. He live streams on Twitch called Mr. Gox. And he also has a Twitter feed you can follow, which is yeah, pretty funny. And yeah, apparently he's, uh, he's doing all right. And, you know, one might argue, you know, well, I don't even think you have to argue like, you know, the hamster doesn't know about crypto. So, <laughs> so, so randomly trading crypto is doing okay. Huh? <laughs> Have you spoken to Mr. Gox? Do you know he doesn't know about crypto? Well, no, I don't know for certain. But uh, yeah, Mr. Gox has so far generated profits of 77 euros as of Friday afternoon. His portfolio hit $580 in mid-September. So he was up 50%, but before the, uh, before the crypto sell-off. So uh, he's suffering as well. But it's funny because it, it charts, there's a chart, Mr. Gox versus the market. And yeah. it tracks his trading versus like Bitcoin, the S&P 500. And yeah, it his curve essentially follows the Bitcoin curve, right? So sure, that makes sense. He's not doing better than, better than average, but better than average S&P 500. How about that? Yeah, that, yeah. It's- and NASDAQ. I wonder, I have to go back and look at his transactions and see if he was influenced by China saying that, that they were having a big crypto. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they put the news in the, uh, news on their form. And if they do, what news do they put on? Is it like Fox News or is it CNN or is Ooh. it just... I wonder if he's... Uh, yeah. I wonder if he's following the, the trends in the you know uh, we, political world. You know what we need? I need? We need three more of them. We need three more of them. And we need one of them where... Fox is turned on all the time. <laughs> Conservative hamster. Yeah. No, hamster. that's so right now, right now I've got right now our hamster is um Mr. Gox. He's our control. 
And then what will happen is I have, two, I have three more. I have one that's got Fox News on, Fox News Business. And then I have another one that will have CNN Business on, right? And then I'm going to do a third one that's going to be just tuned to an auto refresh of Wall Street Bets on um, Reddit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That'd be pretty funny. That'd be pretty funny. Oh, dear. <laughs> Well, uh, who knows? It's like that octopus that seems to keep pre- predicting the outcome of the soccer World Cup when that's on. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh. that's uh, Mr. Gox, the hamster trading cryptocurrency. How about you? What do you got for us this week? I've got a show that my wife and I started watching last night. I texted you about this. You and did. I haven't oh, had a chance to watch it yet, though. Oh, my God. Okay. This is called Lula Rich. and. Yeah. It is one of the number one shows going on Amazon Prime right now. As of last night, it had four and a half stars with 5, 000, nearly 5,000 reviews. It's all about the... I'm trying to be impartial on how I say this because I'm not entirely sure how it's portrayed, like what the, the unpartial description of it is. But you can tell that this is this documentary. It's a four-part documentary, about 45 minutes an episode. And it's all about the LuLaRoe leggings and multi-level marketing slash pyramid scheme people had. I had a friend of mine that was actually selling these as well and was like to watch how this whole thing works. Now, I'm not going to go into details about what this thing is, what the entire story is of this and how it kind of came down and all this stuff. But I will just tell you that if I have... My wife kept looking over at me and would, I also may hear her laughing and I look over and she's looking at me because apparently my eyes were, were like saucers and my, I was jaw slacked. Right. Wow. I just had my jaw was on the ground. Just go watch the first eight minutes and 46, 47 seconds. I actually hit pause and I said, what's the time code? Because I got to tell people to go watch this because this was the money shot. And okay. right at like the 847 mark, once you get to that point, you're like, I've got to keep watching this. And then start watching episode two. So that's episode one. And then after you finish episode one, start watching episode two. And wait until you get to the part about how they were managing the company's inventory, where everyone in the company had a write, had write capabilities to a Google sp- spreadsheet, and they showed a video of it of all the inventory changing like it was crazy because it, depending on when you actually made your buy, you changed the inventory, but somebody else changed it. You weren't sure if like you're going to get it or somebody else is going to get it. You're watching oh, it go down. Man. You're like, what a shambles! Oh my god! <laughs> Wild. I will definitely check that out. That sounds just like a you can't be serious kind of really wow it's like the business edition of what was it tiger king was that what it was yes yeah the tiger king yeah yeah it's like the business edition of that and you're like are you serious wow holy crap i love these things it's like when yeah when some idea well usually scammers go wild right and uh take everybody else's money it's dude throw the mormon church in there and it is Oh yeah! It, oh, it's the whole the whole shooting match, huh? Wild. Yeah, it's you'll you will love it. I can't wait to start okay. watching. It. I can't wait to watch it again. Much more tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna this morning. I promise you, I will watch the first eight minutes, forty seconds, and uh, then text you. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. And watch it with Vicky. Like if she's home for lunch, you guys watch it during lunch. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Nice pick. Yeah, man. Good chatting today. Hopefully everybody yep. learned something here and um, we'll Catch see next everybody week. next weekend. Radio. Later. Did you like this episode? 
please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.